You're listening to the first episode of Season 2 of Directions and Dialogue, a podcast where playwrights speak passionately about their craft. I'm David McKibben, and today I'm sitting down with Danny Cleveland and Justin Payne, a team of musical theater writers based in Omaha, Nebraska. In this episode, we discuss how Danny and Justin channeled their collective grief during the COVID-19 pandemic to write their musical Heaven Come Home, which will be presented as a staged reading this August at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. We will also dabble into how gentrification in Omaha influenced their musical, Little Brown Boy. So for the first time in over a year, let's take our seats before the curtain rises. I'm sitting here with Danny Cleveland and Justin Payne, a team of musical theater writers based in Omaha, Nebraska. Danny is an actress and singer who was dubbed Omaha's First Lady of R&B and was nominated for both Artist of the Year and Best R&B Artist at the Omaha Entertainment Awards. She recently finished singing with the band Expo Sonics, the official band of Expo 2020 in Dubai. Justin is a classically trained tenor with degrees from the University of Nebraska, Omaha and Michigan State. As a singer, he has performed on stages in Germany, Austria, Italy, and China. As a composer, he collaborated with playwright Lisa Harrison Jackson on The Draft and is currently working on a new musical titled Beltaire. As collaborators, Danny and Justin worked on two musicals, Little Brown Boy and Heaven Come Home, the latter of which will be presented as a staged reading at the University of Nebraska Omaha this August. How are you guys doing today? Doing great, doing great. I'm very happy to have you both on the show, and I'm really excited to see Heaven Come Home this August. I'm going to start relatively simple at first for each of you. Who are you? Where are you from? And what got you into theater and music in the first place? A funny story. I wasn't always in theater starting out. I grew up singing in church at the Pleasant Green Baptist Church, where I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. And my first official introduction to the theater as we know it was seeing the Broadway tour of The Lion King. I was in eighth grade and it came to the Orpheum Theater and actually one of the writers with me and Danny on the show, Miss Julie Baker, was my teacher in middle school at the time and I was the drummer for the show choir and so uh, we had had a successful year as a show choir and by some stretch of whatever grace or whatever you want to call it, she was able to get tickets for us to go see the show And so that was my first like formal introduction. And I was just blown away by just, you know, the puppetry of the Lion King, the songs, you know, and it just brought back many memories. And so from then on, I got to high school and I was kind of bribed to be a part of the productions because my music teacher was like, you can sing as well. You should be singing. And I'm like, oh, but um, I ended up auditioning for the first musical my freshman year. And I was the voice of Audrey too in Little Shop of Horrors. And so that was my first role as a freshman in high school. And from then on, I've just been trucking along. <laughs> it's amazing that you went from baritone and bass singing Audrey 2 to now singing tenor classically. So I'm very yes. impressed to hear that. And Danny? I'm Danny Cleveland, and I currently reside in Omaha, Nebraska. I was born and raised in St. Louis. Also cultivated in the church, singing the children's choir and that was so intimidating to me for some reason, but <laughs> I grew up singing in the church. I think my first 
experience that I remember musical Broadway musical was when I was little my mom and my aunts went to see this play called your arms too short to box with God and I never saw the show but they brought me home the cassette tape and I was so enamored with the music but my first role I was an understudy for Lydia Grant who is the dance teacher in fame. It was Debbie Allen's character, but I was her understudy. <laughs> but that was like the coolest thing to be on stage and singing songs that I loved. And even the Tyler Perry plays were songs that I loved. I never ever would have thought about writing until Justin was like, hey, sis, you want to want to write a play about this, that, and the other? And I was like, sure. I've written like scripts for my church, Salem Baptist, but it was all biblical and it had to be biblically sound. So that was already written for me. So I didn't get really the opportunity to be creative mm -hmm. in writing until writing this project with Justin. And when did you that start was, writing Heaven Come Home? Was it January, 2020, Justin? Yeah, so I- Just the, right before the pandemic hit. Yep, uh, and the idea had come to me like in December, and I just had like one song and just an idea. And I went to Julie first and she had just lost her mother. And she was like, oh my God, I'll definitely do it. This is, this is fresh for me. And then I was like, I'm going to ask Danny too. And Danny was like, yeah, let's try it. And so we, we started working officially in January of 2020, just before the pandemic hit. Yes. And as you obviously know, Every single theater was forced to shut down. Lives were lost to COVID-19. So clearly this could not have been any more timely. How did the collaboration process continue during the pandemic? Were you working via Zoom? We had first got together. We would meet at either my church or Julie's apartment and write. And then when we shut down, we worked uh, via Zoom for many, many of the writing sessions. But I remember one time, we were trying to record some things and we were like, okay, are we all going to get tested? Are we going to go like sit apart from each other? And there were a few times within that process where we would go to Julie's apartment, but like mm -hmm. I would sit on one side of the room, Danny was sitting on another side and Julie was sitting on like a far side, you know, six feet, just so that the work could continue. And you know, it's so funny you say that, David. It was almost prophetic in a sense of us writing this project because while I had the idea in my head, you know, none of us had any clue what would happen in the world. I have to give a shout out to uh, two of our friends, Carlos and Lydia Tibbs, mother and son, who actually lost their lives to COVID-19. Uh, rest in peace. Love you both. But two um, days apart, two days apart from each other in 2020. And what's so crazy is the show was already written by then. And we had a character or we have a character in the show where a mother and son have a connection like our friends did, where it's just like them two. And there's really not many people inside their circle of mother and son. And we had sent Carlos the song probably in like March or April when we finished it. And he had loved the song, you know. And it was just so crazy that his mother would pass away on a Monday and then he would pass away on a Wednesday. And wow. so like, that was like doubly prophetic for us. And as heavy as the show is, I just think that it is something, and I know I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I know it's something that will resonate with so many people 
even outside of the COVID-19 scope of things, because there's so many relatable stories. And I think grief is one of those things that unites us all, you know, and it brings us kind of off of our high horses and pedestals and puts us back down into reality that someday we're all going to experience loss and we're all going to have to like work through it and work through the grief that comes along with that. And so that's how that process came to be. I'm sorry, Danny, I'm just talking. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go right ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's how it came to be. And Danny, as the book writer, especially since you, prior to this entire experience, were writing more liturgical, biblical pieces, how did you feel transitioning into writing the book for this show? And were you focusing on dialogue before he wrote songs or vice versa? Because that's a very common question in musical theater writing. It was actually a really nice transition. Um, it felt really good. It felt really easy. Uh, and it was not easy to do, but it was an easy transition, if that makes sense. We kind of collaborated with the songs and the music sort of around the same time. It just kind of depends on what the work day felt like. Sometimes Justin would create the song and then we'd sit together and write dialogue or we would talk about dialogue and that might've turned into a song. So it really wasn't any real method of writing. We just went with the flow. Justin is so easy to work with. It's amazing to be connected to such great young talent that's so wise beyond their years. He made it very comfortable. Going back to Justin now, given your classical training as a tenor, you obviously studied music theory when you were in undergrad and I think grad school, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel your classical theory training helped you writing the music for Heaven Come Home, which is obviously more contemporary musical theater, pop, R&B, and even some hip hop in there. How do you feel your theory training has added to your work in this process? You know, the great Quincy Jones always says we only have 12 notes and that as different as music can be, it really is all the same. Um, and one of the things I found out, David, when I was studying in undergrad, especially, we would listen to French music in particular, like the music of Maurice Ravel, Maurice Duraflay, Poulenc. We would listen to this music and I would then go to church or be watching YouTube and hear the same sort of chord progressions. And this is all music that preceded modern gospel by 150, 200 years, yes. you know, and so hearing all those things, I'm like, well, there's really nothing new under the sun. So all of the collective experiences that I had just kind of helped to inform and really enhance what I was doing. And I will say the thing that I appreciate most about having the education behind me is being able to understand what I'm doing and understand really the how, because a lot of people will write and maybe not understand the how, but understanding the how has definitely helped to be able to make sure that what I'm creating is unique, but also makes sense in the grand scheme of things, so to speak. And the other thing, the song, One More Day, I didn't write that. Julie Baker wrote that. And it's so funny how we wrote it because the pandemic had hit and we were forced to be on our separate planes. And she sent me something on a Sunday morning of her. It was a voice memo and she was singing the song. She said, I have this melody and I have these lyrics. I don't know if it's going to work, but I just want to try it. And so... She had sung it and I'm like, wow, this is beautiful. And so then within a week, just taking that melody, you know, I was able to arrange something behind it, add some vocal parts and send it back so she could send the verse. And that's how we got the song One More Day. 
which is the main theme of our show. And so I will say like for situations like that, having that training and background and knowing how music works and being able to work behind uh, melody and melodic phrases helped us to be able to create, you know, one more day. And I really do believe that that song is already, but it's definitely going to be a smash hit and probably will put Julie Baker on the map of winning Grammy, Tony, all of that. I'm speaking that I just because I just know how good of a writer she is. And so manifest the EGOT. Absolutely. Yes. I, yes. Manifest in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> As collaborators, you will be working with the University of Nebraska Omaha on mm -hmm. this project. You actually were supposed to be doing this show in January with UNO, but wow. then Omicron hit and cases were so high that the university had to step in and say, we need to cancel this. What is your relationship with UNO? Justin, you obviously went there for undergrad. Are you on faculty there right now, like adjunct? So yes, I am an adjunct professor in the Black Studies department, and I'm currently working to build a class in the music department. And so I got my undergrad there and I actually studied with Hal France. I studied conducting and that was one of my other experiences. Hal is such a great teacher and there really is no ego involved. And so when I was studying, unofficially studying, conducting with him, my senior year, we did the Into the Woods opening for one of our opera workshops and he allowed me to conduct that as a student and learning so much from him. And then when I went to Michigan State, he actually guest conducted the opera that I debuted in, Street Scene by Kurt Vile. It was very, it was very cool, cool experience uh, to be able to make that hometown connection in Lansing, Michigan. But when I came back, I realized that he was now in the musical theater department. And when we reconnected, I let him know that I was writing more and composing more. And that's how this collaboration came to be. And it's something very, very new, very fresh that they're trying as they, you know, continue to grow the theater department. And I just think it's brilliant and very grateful that they chose our show to be one of the first shows to be developed there. And developing this show with students obviously has very unique perspectives compared Absolutely. to just working with professional equity actors. So when you were in rehearsals for the first round of workshops, were there any experiences with students or faculty that really impacted your work rewriting the show or developing characters that you probably would not have had in a vacuum working together in your apartments or on Zoom? Well, I really can only speak to the audition process because I didn't get to experience, you know, the rehearsals. But when we were sitting in that room and hearing those people come in there and sing songs that we collaborated on, that we've been hearing just us sing, it was so refreshing and so rewarding to hear other perspectives. And it got me really excited to hear what they're going to do with the dialogue, how they'll be with each other in relation to their characters. I can't even explain the joy that I think all of us felt. I think Justin was fighting back tears at some point just to hear these phenomenally talented students who are practically kids, you know, I'm a little older, so they're like kids to me. And then to know that we have seasoned veterans that will also add their perspective. I haven't heard them yet, but I know that once we get all of this together, I shouldn't say this, 
but I'm thankful that Omicron shut down the first reading because I wanted to be in the room. I didn't want to be on the Zoom room. I wanted to be in the room to feel that energy. So everything happens for a reason, but I cannot wait to hear all the perspectives when we finally do get together. You two are also collaborating on another musical called Little Brown Boy, which deals with gentrification. What got you sparks to working on this particular show, especially as we deal with things like the housing crisis, both pre and post COVID? We started to see our city slowly change, but abruptly changing. It was slowly changing, but it was like so quick. Like things just started looking very, very different around here. And you see very different types of people, which is nothing wrong with that, but we just started to see different things change. And it's like, wait, I think they're trying to gentrify our city. And so Justin came up with this brilliant idea to do a show based on that same subject. When we started writing it, we would take rides around the city where we grew up around and just to see how different it looked. And I think that was the biggest inspiration. Do you care to elaborate about those rides? There is an area around North 30th Street, just south of Lake Street, which used to be housing projects. Mm -hmm. And now they're like fancy condos and townhomes. There's a greenhouse over there. I mean, it's beautiful. The street's well lit now. It looks really good. And then you ride further south towards downtown, which is where Creighton University is. And they bought up a whole lot of land. We saw bike lanes like in the hood, which was something totally different. We've never seen bike lanes because who rides bikes around here? But now we have the city bikes in the hood now. It's just so interesting to see. And Creighton has bought up a lot of land downtown. There are new apartments where there used to be empty lots. I mean, they're making good use of the land, but it's just really different now. And another thing to kind of piggyback off of that, like we both have personal connections. So I'll speak on mine, but my grandmother is a longtime resident of North Omaha. She lives in an area, if we go back to when my dad was a child, we have a major highway that used to be filled with houses and they moved everybody out of their houses, didn't really pay them what they said they would, and they built a highway there. And if you drive on either side of the highway, you can tell where it looks unfinished because they just slapped it together when it was done. Like, I mean, it's complete, but you can tell where it wasn't necessarily all the way thought out. My dad was affected by that because my grandmother, my grandfather, and my dad's two siblings, his two sisters, lived in a house that is now a part of the highway as well. And they were, quote unquote, bought out by the city and now live in a different area of the city. But they too lived in that same area and neighborhood before they built the freeway or the highway. And so that's one aspect. But another aspect is, you know, my grandmother is a retired nurse and and she watched her house taxes jump in the last few years from being X amount of dollars to now like thousands of dollars more with no slight increase. We're talking like a big increase. And when you, you know, you think about fixed income, retired elderly people that live in these neighborhoods, 
they're basically pricing them out because of everything else that's being built around. And like I said, the updates are to beautify the neighborhoods. We definitely understand that because they need to be beautified. I mean, some of the areas that they're building, some of the beautiful things, like when I was younger, when Danny was younger, you wouldn't even think about going in those areas because of how scary it was. But it definitely has its upsides. It seems like the cons sort of leave out the interest of the little guy. And that's where I have an issue because people have this money and it's okay to have money and it's okay to pour back into the neighborhoods or whatever. But when you do it at the expense of people who have been there all their lives, that's when it becomes an issue and a problem. And I've grown up being a fan of Spike Lee. You know, Spike Lee's work is very controversial. He chooses the uncomfortable topics to write about and to produce films about. And I just feel like, not to compare us to Spike Lee, but I feel like that's something that we can do for the stage. And I think we are catching the new renaissance at such a great time because so many more BIPOC writers are being given a voice and so I think it's a great time for us to get in that vein and be able to be a part of this new wave of writing that's coming out. And what's even more beautiful is that not just with the project, but when the project happened, we had talked about doing a week-long writer's retreat. And the week before we were supposed to do this is when our friends died of COVID. And me and Danny were like, do we take a break and not write or do we write? And I'll never forget, we buried them, was it like a Thursday or Friday? And then that following week, we put all of our heart and soul into just like a week-long intensive where we just met, we had food, we painted, we just connected as collaborators, and we just put really a lot of the pain that we were experiencing into the ideas, and we just hashed out a great first draft of a show. And so even with that show, I think we're sitting on something that is really monumental, not even just to win awards or anything like that, but a story that, again, will resonate with so many people that have dealt with this that, you know, it just makes it relatable. And it's a talking point that connects and unifies and unites people because we need unity at this time. We need more unity and we need more community. So I love that we touch on subjects that, that you don't hear much about in a musical way. I also think that that will resonate with a lot of people. And seeing musical theater being used to impact the communities of those who actually see it and even beyond. Just seeing that kind of connection through American musical theater, whether that was in the 1940s with Rodgers and Hammerstein writing Oklahoma, or 2016 with Lin-Manuel Miranda writing Hamilton, and of course in the Heights back in 2008, which is another show that deals with gentrification. It's just empowering to see that kind of growth all the way up till now, and I look forward to seeing where things go with both of your projects and especially given the nature of the pandemic and all that we have been enduring the fact that these two projects can come out of grief and loss and pain proves that art can really heal and i'm absolutely grateful to have that type of a conversation and hear your perspectives about that so thank you absolutely absolutely justin when you were working on the draft with Lisa Harrison Jackson. How did that happen? And what got you inspired to work on that exact project? I can't remember exactly how Lisa and I met, 
But through our meeting, I know I was teaching her daughter piano lessons and vocal lessons, but through our connection, we both found out that we were, you know, artists. I mean, I was obviously teaching music, but I somehow told her I was a composer and she told me she was a playwright. And I'm like, oh, I've written a few shows before, you know, for the church like Danny. And I'm like, well, let's try it. And so she is in tune with issues in the African-American community. And so we just kind of threw out ideas. And one of the ideas that we talked about was the fact that a lot of the African-American males who are in sports, NFL, NBA, baseball, a lot of them deal with the idea of fatherlessness. And again, it's just a talking point where we could connect. And so we were like, okay, we're going to tell that story through the lens of the draft and talk about football and talk about how fatherlessness affects the African-American community. And that was my first go around with collaborating with a playwright. And I think it was that training and working with Lisa that helped me go into this process with Danny and Julie, you know, because there was no ego in the room, no pride. It was just like, hey, we're two artists and we're just going to come together for the sake of the art and just write something beautiful. Additionally, since you have basically expanded from going into just writing music and lyrics to even writing book, you're working on a new musical now called Bell's Hair. Yes. Takes place following the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Would you like to discuss that experience as well? I believe you wrote a lot of music based on the style of New Orleans jazz in this particular project. Yes. And so I also wrote that when I dealt with a a personal situation where I was going through something with a friend and as artists, you know, we need an outlet when we go through and experience pain. And so writing was my outlet. And I just happened to be starting to listen to New Orleans brass band music. And then I got the opportunity to go to New Orleans in 2019. And after going and hearing brass band music live, I had already started writing the show. But when I came back, that was when I like finished it. I'm actually very grateful to Denise Chapman, who is the producing artistic director at the Union for Contemporary Art. I sent her the script and she did all the dramaturgy on it and helped me to develop it. And we did the first reading of it last year, uh, kind of while we were still navigating COVID in the summer. And Danny actually was a part of that process as well. And so that was a really fun process. It was very difficult. I'd I'd be lying if I said it wasn't difficult, not just in writing it, but self-producing it and getting it in front of people and getting it you know, getting their eyes on it. But it's also been very rewarding, as Danny said, you know, about the auditions for Heaven Come Home to see people actually connect with your art and your writing and your music and be able to deliver it in the spirit in which you wrote it, not having gone through your circumstance to get that story on the page, but being able to connect to it in such a way where they accurately deliver it has been very rewarding. And so I'm super proud of that show. Um, Yeah, I'm super proud of that show. I have one last question. This question comes from James Lipton and Inside the Actors Studio. Since you two are both raised in the church, I assume you both believe in heaven. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to tell me that I lived well and pleasing in his eyes. Yeah, that's it. We, yeah, serving the Lord. I just want to hear well done. I want to hear well done knowing that I poured out every single thing that I could. I emptied myself of all the divine gifts given to me and I just, I died empty. So yes, well done. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. If you are in the Omaha, Nebraska area, please come see a stage reading of Heaven Come Home. It is at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, 
in the Weber Fine Arts Building on Saturday, August 20th. More information about the show will be in the link below, and I look forward to hearing how that workshop goes. So thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I feel like my heart's beating out of my chest. There's a lump in my throat, my emotions a mess. This feeling so desperate, overtaking my soul. I know that you're gone, but my heart won't let go. If I could have just one more day here with you, there's so much I would say, there's so much I would do. When I close my eyes, my mind thinks you're still here. When I open them, you're gone. I drown in my tears. If I could spend just one more day, Back the memories of you in my mind Like a movie on repeat I constantly rewind I see your sweet face and I hear your voice I'd relive all the moments if I had the choice I miss you so much there are times I can't breathe I look to the sky wonder if you see me Mistaking my soul's almost too much to bear Living without you, it just isn't fair If I could spend just one more day with you I would tell you the things you needed to hear The truth Each day 